All right. Happy Friday, everybody. Uh, greetings from Mexico. I'm in Mexico City at the moment. Adam is in Oaxaca, and our good friend Ernesto Perez is in Veracruz. Um, we have, I think, a really great show today. Ernesto is an amazing coffee producer and also leader of the group APG, Cuatepec, um, and delivering some of the coffees that have really been most exciting to us the last couple of years. Uh, so we're excited to have another live show for you all today. Joining me in Oaxaca is Adam McClellan, who runs the Mexico operation for us. Uh, he's been down there for a couple months now with his family and will be through the season, as will I. Uh, lots of good things in store for all of you throughout the season as we get into shipping season. But uh, most importantly, let's turn it over to, to Adam and Ernesto and, and see what's happening in Veracruz. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Aleko. Um, yeah, so actually last year, I think it was our first year buying your coffees, Ernesto, but um, we had a really, really good response in the marketplace. A lot of roasters are uh, eagerly anticipating more coffees from you this year and, and kind of asking about them again. And I think um, we saw, you know, is, Veracruz is a new uh, region to, in Mexico for us. I think I started traveling there maybe three years ago. We work with another co-op in another part of uh another part of the other side of Veracruz but um, yeah last year was my first year coming to, to Coatepec and um, I was just really impressed with your operation and your vision and um, to me Veracruz is really an interesting very different than some of the other producing regions of Mexico and so um, yeah I'm, I'm excited this year to, to taste some of your coffees and I know that you've, you're wrapping up harvest and things there but um, I wonder if maybe you can start and kind of just tell us a little bit about um, sort of like an overview of like maybe the history of Veracruz uh, coffee production. Cause I think, you know, from my understanding that's where it all got started and, you know, coffee in Mexico arrived into Veracruz. So, and then maybe with that a bit about like your family's history in the region and, and producing and things like that. Thanks for being with us. Yes, thank you, Adam. Well, um, let me start by uh, saying what I know about the history of Veracruz coffee. As, as many people know, I mean, there's no uh, legit uh, answer to where was the first state where coffee uh, was um, produced in Mexico. Uh, many people say it was in Oaxaca and many people say it was in Chiapas and Veracruz, but we're one of the first states for sure that had coffee in Mexico. And uh, right now we are one of the three most important states in coffee production in, in Mexico as a country. I think we produce like 30% of the coffee from Mexico. So being one of the leaders in, in coffee production in Mexico, um, there's many uh, things that have, have happened in the history of coffee, many ups and downs. Uh, lots of big companies have been involved in coffee in Veracruz for many, many years. Um, so we, we kind of have a, a long history in coffee. Um, we've always, always been known by having uh, good coffees, uh, such as other places in Mexico. Um, but I think um, the specialty coffee culture in Veracruz uh, never really, like the third wave of coffee never really landed uh, deeply in Veracruz. 
Um, I think it was because there was there's many many big companies and the culture is is not picking coffee correctly and uh, there's a lot of, of um, things that uh, were really hard for me to change when I got here, right? So um, that's kind of an overview of Veracruz. Uh, as as you know, Veracruz is one of the highest latitudes where coffee is produced in, in this side of the world. Uh, we are located in the Gulf of Mexico, like right uh, next to the Gulf of Mexico. So the, the weather is more humid and cold in Veracruz. And I think uh, the latitude and the, the side of the country where we are located really helps coffee, like the, the weather and the microclimate to be as it is and the flavor to be as it is. Um, it's always super cold and misty here during the harvest season. So uh, that's that's kind of why we can grow specialty coffees at uh, 1200 meters above sea level. So uh, that's, that's kind of my overview of Veracruz coffee right now. And uh, thanks for inviting me to the webinar. I'm really excited to be able to explain more about Veracruz coffee. And, and so people can uh, uh, come visit and get engaged into what the coffee culture here in Veracruz is, right? So that's kind of an overview. I don't know if you want me to go ahead and say more about my family or yeah, maybe because I, you know, you your farm, your family's farm is Finca Fatima, and then you also run APG Coffees. But maybe did did your family start with with just farming coffee, or before they moved into production and things? So my my great grandfather, he was uh, from Spain. He came to Veracruz because he was uh, he knew how to speak English very well, so he got hired by a company called Arbucle Brothers in the U.S. And he, he worked as an exporter. He was a copper and an exporter. Uh, his history goes back to the, the 19th century. So it's, uh, he, he was in coffee many, many years ago. And his name was Antonio Perez Galvan. So that's why APG is called APG. Uh, he was like the, the first, first member of our family involved in coffee, right? So there's a lot of history. My grandfather uh, didn't really export coffee. He, he was dedicated to producing machinery for coffee. And he built a wet mill where that is the wet mill that I'm currently using. It was like his, uh, where he took his clients to show the machinery, right? So he, he, it was like his exhibition room, right? So, um, my father later he started exporting coffee uh, he worked with coffee in the 1990s and i think it was when the SCA was the sca was founded so i think uh, ted lingle which was the founder of of the SCA, he came to veracruz a couple of times and my father got a uh, awarded the first place a couple of times uh, during the 1990s and he decided to quit coffee because it was a lot of risk um, because he was more into the commodity market so 
uh, many bad things happened in those years and he decided that it was a lot of risk and he didn't like the business. So we, he rented the, the, the mill to another company and it was basically, um, no one was really uh, using uh, correctly that mill. So I, that's when I came in and, and I decided to change many things. Um, it was uh, not many years ago, really. I've been in coffee for, like working in coffee for three years right now. I really, I, I went to uh, college in the US. I, I worked in a company in the US for a couple of years and I decided that my passion was not working in an office. So I decided to get deeply into coffee. I got my Q graders license. I traveled to El Salvador and I got my um, Q processing license with, uh, in a mill called Cuatro M Cafes uh, with Emilio Lopez. Then I traveled here in Mexico to visit uh, Finca Chelin or Enrique Lopez in Oaxaca to learn more about coffee processing, like fermentations and things like that. And then I came back to Veracruz with a really good perspective of what the specialty coffee production looks like. And I made some changes to the mill to make it a, like a modern, a, a modern mill that I could use a, to lead my company to what I saw an opportunity, which was uh, having full traceability of coffees, uh, truly um, bringing that flavor of this region, developing the flavors correctly of the, like the sweetness and the, the all the fruit notes that we can find in coffees in Veracruz uh, through processing coffee with longer periods of time, longer fermentations, longer drying times, uh, and keeping everything fully traceable. So that's kind of my, my approach and where I see the future of coffee. Um, so that's, that's kind of the vision that I have currently in, in APG. And I wanna keep uh, growing and position, positioning Veracruz coffee in many places of the world again. So that's kind of my my approach. Awesome, thank you. I, uh, I also wanna to mention too, for anybody listening that um, maybe didn't realize what I, what I think is interesting about the, the kind of production model in Veracruz is that cherries, like don't sell their tree, right? So I think it's similar to maybe how Costa Rica was uh, previously, or maybe it still is in a lot of ways in, in a mass scale, you drive through the Veracruz coffee country and there's really, really large in, in my, from my perspective, really large uh, cherry processing mills, wet mills that are, you know, owned by many different companies, maybe some of them are cooperatively owned, but um, farmers will harvest and bring down their cherry daily or every other day or something. It's, it's a, it's unique to, you know, Oaxaca and Chiapas, the other two kind of main producing regions in Mexico where farmers are individually processing on their farms and, and producing parchment and selling dry parchment, right, to mills or co-ops or, or directly. So, um, is that, do you think that model helped you kind of 
make big leaps in quality development pretty quickly that you're able to kind of control processing from the from the point of cherry delivery and then also i was thinking kind of how do you select which farmers you're going to be buying from do they approach you or do you seek them out or or how does that kind of work well after after all these years uh, not many people were really excited about coffee uh, because i mean the prices were low and not many people were really investing in farms. So there's not many players left in farming here in, in Veracruz. Uh, we decided to invest in, in our farm and it was not many years ago. I mean, it was, it was a, just a property that used to have coffee many years ago, but we did, uh, my father renewed the farm with the new varietals, with um, quality varietals, and that's that's when I I began to know other farmers, um, which were now uh, like more than just friends. We're kind of like family. Like for example, Cienfuegos uh, from Finca Las Trincheras. He's is a very good friend of my family, and we we work with other farmers that are really uh, that have that vision of of producing uh, high quality coffees and that are, their farms are located in the highest altitudes possible that have good varietals of coffee at that, that don't just have forgotten uh, farms, right? So that's kind of how I select the, the farmers that I work with. I don't call them my farmers. We're really partners in this deal because it wouldn't be possible to, to do this without them. Uh, so it's, it's really teamwork and what we're doing in, in Veracruz. And I think uh, processing coffee from uh, the cherry to uh, the green bean, uh, really helps you uh, kind of control the quality and standardize the quality of the product because um, Many, many things can happen throughout the process that can affect quality. Uh, we begin uh, by knowing where the coffee comes from. We analyze the cherry and we see what uh, quality of the cherry we're receiving in the mill, uh, what percentage of ripes and unripes we have. And we use technology to sort this coffee, uh, to store this coffee correctly and to mill this coffee and prepare it for export uh, the, correct, the correct way. And our, I think our approach is to be able to sell coffees that last uh, longer in shelf uh, because we are reducing uh, the drying times. Uh, I mean, extending the drying times a lot uh, more than many, many most of the companies in Mexico do. We take uh, temperature, uh, simulating temperature as it was, uh, as if, if we were drying uh, with the sun or under the shade. So that's kind of what we're doing with uh, the drying. And uh, fermentation for us is something that has existed in Veracruz for many years. We didn't have the machines to remove a mucilage before. So uh, it would take 48 hours before to ferment coffees and get rid of this, um, the 
honey, the mucilage. And we, we still do the complete 48 hour fermentations. So I think that is something that creates a, a better sweetness and uh, creates a more balanced and round flavor in the cups. So um, that's kind of what we can control with the processing cherries. And I think it's, it's a good aggregate value for the product. Yeah, thank you. A couple of questions are coming in so that are re related to what you're talking about. Um, specifically with the drying, are you, can you talk more about that? Are you using mechanical dryers? Are you using raised beds? Or Because I know that kind of how you mentioned the climate in Veracruz, and, and you and I have talked about this before, some of the, some of the drying is, is probably one of the more challenging aspects of, of, you know, production in general, but also maybe if you wanted to do like naturals or other processes and things like that. Could you talk about specifically drying and how you're managing that? Yes, well, one of the good things about uh, Veracruz is that we have uh, our seasonality is very um, predictable every year. Um, we have like the, the months of December, January, and February are most of the times uh, extremely humid and cold. Uh, there's always rain and there's uh, always uh, high humidity levels and high and, and low temperatures. So it's really almost impossible to dry coffees uh, with the sunlight um, during these months. So we have to adapt to what we have, right? So we, we use mainly me mechanical dryers for the washed coffees uh, that we process uh, from December to February. And in March, we have the first, uh, we always process in March and April, uh, the natural and the honey processed coffees because we have a, a completely different climate, a completely different weather than, than in the other months. We have a lot more of sunlight and we have higher temperatures. So we, we have to, uh, we use a shade to protect the coffees from, from the high temperatures in these months. So it's kind of like, there's a drastic change between uh, the months of December and February to the rest of the year. Uh, so we, we kind of uh, decided to, to work with what we have and, and use technology to, to process these coffees correctly. Yeah. Awesome, thank you. And, and how many how many different producers are you working with in the in the region for for the APG coffees? Yeah, we we work uh, with um, Finca Fatima, which is our farm. Uh, my neighbor, she all, she won Cup of Excellence uh, last year as well. Um, her farm is Finca Consolapan. Uh, we work with uh, Jose Cienfuegos from Las Trincheras Farm. Uh, he won Cup of Excellence too, and we work with uh, three or four other producers that are new that we're going to share samples uh, with you this year uh, that I think they have a lot to offer to the market. So we're kind of a group of, of seven producers and we're, our approach for next year is to start developing a like the like single community coffees, like uh, small farmers in, in higher altitude regions. So we, we can also do a, 
have an economic impact in, in smallholder farmers. So that's kind of our next approach. That's great. Ernesto, I'm going to jump in with a question here. Um, and I guess premise it with, to me, I'm like this absolutely intrigued with the Mexican coffee industry right now and to see the evolution of the industry, uh, to see the coffee culture in the country. I think the cafe culture in Mexico City and I'm sure elsewhere, but that's what I know best is like really bar none in producing countries. Really, really special to see what people are doing um, with roasting and coffee and just the general experience that they give to people. And there are folks like you and we have other friends in other parts of producing regions of the country, younger generations that are kind of like the new face of the coffee industry here. Because we're being honest, the coffee industry was very commoditized for a long time. Uh, and also maybe an afterthought for the government in a lot of ways. But to see folks like you is really promising. But it makes me wonder uh, that there's, there's, there must be a whole new competitive landscape out there, even for you, to buy cherry, to process coffees, to trade coffee locally, or maybe there isn't, I don't know, but I'm curious what you're seeing on that front uh, and what your take is in general. Well, this year we had a 40% smaller harvest than last year in general. So uh, coffee prices were super high this year compared to last year. Um, it was more, much more competitive because there's many companies that need coffee from Veracruz. Uh, um, uh, but I mean, we, since we work with, we have partners, we were able to, um, they were able to stick to the plan and we didn't have an issue with buying cherries, really, because, I mean, it was part of the plan, right? We were growing together, so it's their investment. It's not just an opportunity of the moment. We're trying to truly build partnerships with, with companies like you, uh, that you can find uh, roasters that really appreciate the quality that we're offering, right? So uh, as far as uh, the cherry and the price, uh, I, I, that's what I don't like about coffee that some years we have a lot, some years we don't have much. So, but it's part of the agri agricultural business, right? That's how it is. Yeah, makes what sense. What percentage of those coffees are you selling nationally? Like uh, how many, I mean, I think, yeah, we're both really interested in sort of the national market in Mexico and I think in some ways, some of our biggest competitors here are our are, are local roasters, um, which, yeah. I, which I think both of us think is super cool. You know, we don't see that in other, in other origins, but, you know, there's a, there is this whole young generation in Mexico that's really excited about coffee because of kind of the local roasters and the coffee bars and things like that all over the country. Well, how does that play into, into your vision for, for selling coffee? Well, that's, that's, that's kind of the reason why we, our model, has really worked in, has worked uh, to improve the economic uh, acti activities of the farm. I think because we provide uh, immediate liquidity to the farmers uh, instead of, uh, there's a lot of, of people that are really into specialty coffee in Mexico, like a lot of specialty coffee bars, 
and uh, there's a lot of new trendy things many people getting into this specialty coffee market but they all finance themselves of the coffee producer they buy small quantities of coffee and they don't buy the inventories that they're going to use uh, throughout the year so they basically the farmers have to finance these small coffee shops and that doesn't really work for them so it's i i really like that we are uh, growing as a like our culture is growing but i don't like that the last priority of the the market is to provide the financial liquidity for the farms which is where everything comes from right so it's it's very delicate i think that's that's kind of my perspective of, of the market right now yeah thank you that's really interesting what um what uh is there if the what, what would you want you know your roasters to know about how you produce coffee you know in terms of like some of the challenges but also i mean you mentioned forming these community groups with some of the smaller holder farmers which i think is super exciting for me yeah uh, but what you know what are what are some things you want roasters who are buying you know five or ten bags of your coffee maybe maybe 15 bags of the different coffees you know if you wanted to communicate something to them about you know some of your challenges but also you know why you're excited to see coffees with your name or cm fuegos's name on a bag and you know nine different of the top roasteries in the country you know i mean i think it, you've only been in this three years and you're already you know from my perspective you're you're touching the top tier of the market now you know um and we're we're super excited to represent your coffees but you know what are, what are some things you want to communicate directly well as far as um, maybe we don't have um, many certifications, but one of the things that I, I really want them to know is that one of the things that make Veracruz coffee uh, very special and very hard uh, in the farm level is that we, we keep, uh, we really focus on, on conserving the, the forests that we have, the, all the ecosystems that we have. Uh, I think uh, this is something super special in Mexico. Uh, we, we, or most of our farms are all shade grown coffees. So this is kind of like the challenges of having a small production one year and a big production the next year. But I mean, we, we are really aware of, of where we're going in the future and all this effort is to keep having a coffee production in the future, keep having a stable um, environment and conserving our microclimates. So whenever they buy a bag of coffee from us, uh, I think they should feel that they're really helping conserve the ecosystems here in Mexico. That's fantastic. <clears throat> I Adam and I were out in Pluma, so Oaxaca, a different region altogether, but I was really blown away at seeing how forested that area was and how healthy the trees were too. I was, in, I was a little surprised. I didn't think that was necessarily how it was going to be in like really as good a shade as I've seen anywhere in Latin America, special. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it seems like you're in Africa, I guess, like <laughs> the forest. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh... It's incredible. Yeah, a little bit like Ethiopia. 
Yes. Um, and then, so you have finished up harvest for the year, right? Or are there still people picking a little bit? I wonder if you could talk a little bit about like the stage of harvest you're at and also maybe, you know, are there, uh, does your labor to pick coffee in Veracruz come locally or, or where does that come from? It's, it's very interesting. Uh, many people that live in Veracruz or used to live in Veracruz, they go to Mexico City for a part of the year and work and find jobs in Mexico City. And through, through the harvest season, they come back to Veracruz and they love picking coffee. It's a whole experience for them to come and pick coffee. They actually enjoy coming to pick coffee. But the good, the good part of Mexico is that they have the chance to go work somewhere else throughout the rest of the year. So it's, it's, a, it's a good side of coffee production in Mexico. And um, yeah, about the harvest, we're kind of wrapping up uh, the harvest. Uh, I think uh, most of our washed coffees are now already being, uh, they're already done. And we're working on the natural processes and the special process lots for them. So kind of like doing all these crazy fermentations and uh, processing some natural, some honeys. And, and I think these, these coffees that come at the end of the harvest are really special in, in flavor because they went through all this time uh, of cold weather, you know? So it's, it's very, I think it's the most interesting coffees that come out. Yeah, they stress the most, they take the longest to kind of like them. Yeah. Um, we just have one more question and I think we can kind of like leave it there, but um, from uh, from one of the participants here, uh, lot separation and producer transparency is important to higher end roasters. And is that something your mill is taking care of? Um, it's, I think you kind of mostly answered that, but if you want to talk a little bit more about how you separate lots and maintain the traceability. Yeah, sure. So we, we work, uh, one of the things uh, that I made changes in the mill. Uh, I don't know, if I, you've been to my mill, right? Adam? Yes. Uh, before it was like, just you just uh, deliver the coffee and you just throw the cherries into a place where, where everything gets mixed. And right now we're separating every single entry of coffee. Uh, we, we separate it by producer. We process, we ferment independently, and we dry independently, and we store the coffee independently. Uh, every single lot has uh, what variety it is, uh, what time of the year it was harvested. And I think we're doing a tremendous job at keeping traceability as transparent as possible. So that's one of the things that are, is the most important for me. Uh, being uh, traceable, fully traceable. Yeah. Excellent, thank you so much. Um, I think that's basically all we have for you today, Ernesto, but we you know, really, really value your, your partnership. And you know, for me on a personal level, I think your vision and your execution is incredibly inspiring. I'm looking forward to tasting the coffees this year. I know that we have a lot of roasters excited for them. So um, yeah, again, we just really value your, your partnership as well. And, um, looking forward to, to many years working together. Thanks for, thanks for being on this. Thank yeah, you. thank you, Ernesto. I echo Adam's sentiments uh, entirely. It's a pleasure to work with you.
thank you very much and and thanks to to all the roasters that support this operation right so thanks really, to all the producers yes all right well talk to you take soon. care all right we'll talk soon okay bye thanks folks um we're please stay on if you're up for it we're just going to give you a quick like 10 minute breakdown on what's happening so far uh with the mexican harvest season we are basically like knee deep into the cupping uh part of the season it's just going to pick up for the next four or six weeks i think uh but i'll let adam step in again adam's the main man down there so take it away if you wouldn't mind giving folks an update on what's happening adam yeah thank i mean we are literally knee deep uh fabian this morning went to pick up samples that came down from Ukuiti here in oaxaca that and we got like i think 80 some samples from one little community uh yosutatu for those that know it but sort of the first of the season from from that area some 1800 1900 meter typica from up there and so we're he's probably going to be running the sample holder all day long <laughs> so we are knee deep in parchment um but yeah i think um the pluma the sierra sur part of oaxaca is 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 wrapped up the harvest the, all the cherries off the trees the parchment is dried and ready and almost i would say 75 percent into warehouses and we're kind of selecting and cupping through that um those are sort of the initial um, offers that we were seeing and then now we're moving into kind of the mixteca area of oaxaca yosutatu uh, mentioned miramar they had a little bit of a a strange harvest this year in that the ripening was not all at once. I think they're used to having a lot of ripening in like second half of January and early February. And the ripening probably due to some like later rains and also some kind of cloudier, cooler weather in January that we were having here. Um, the ripening was much, much slower. And I think uh, not, not all at the same time. So that was a little bit of a challenge because when they're used to making one or two passes in their farms, it was, uh, they're making, you know, three or four um, but it's, it's exciting to see these samples come in because they're, you know, on a personal level, some of my favorite coffees that we work with here. Um, Chiapas, I think, is basically done on, in their harvest. They're probably 80% finished, and we're, we saw the first offers from uh, the Cafeco group we work with there um, uh, last week. And, um, and then we'll see some more things from his farms, uh, from the farm Santa Cruz, Finca Santa Cruz from, from Pepe um, by the next two weeks. He does a really long drying process there. Um, and then, yeah, uh, other than Ernesto's coffees and APG and, and Coatepec, we buy from another co-op in the, the Southern part of Veracruz and near Cordoba, uh, Chocoman uh, from a co-op there that essentially processes their coffee also. We're supposed to see those samples by next week. So yeah, I, I think the first uh, container for milling is hitting the dry mill on Monday. It's, it's in the dry mill, but it's scheduled to start milling on Monday. And we hope to have that shipment out um, moving to port by the end of the week. So um, yeah, I think we're, we're, on, we're on track to have the, the early arrivals of the year being um, you know, second half of April. And then May will be a heavy, heavy arrival season into early June from, from all three Chiapas, Oaxaca, Veracruz. Um, but honestly, on a, on, a, on a quality level, I mean, sort of sounds like we say this every year, but it's, it's true. Uh, it gets better. You know, I think the work, spend time investing and communicating and meeting with farmers and they, they take and they take price and they put it back into the farms and we see the results in the cupping table. It's been an incredibly encouraging uh, first month here of cupping that's just since 
very, very consistent, very clean coffees. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty psyched. Yeah, that's all exciting news. Uh, in the little bit of cupping I got to do while well, I was in Oaxaca a couple of weeks ago, I felt like uh, the coffees were, were in that early stage, but you could taste their potential already. And it's going to be an exciting year for really sweet, bright coffees. And I know that there are some of the more intriguing areas of Solo Tepec, all over the Mixteca, even La Cañada, yeah. where we have some like really, really complex, fiery kinds of coffees. Um, yeah, we'll have, um, we're actually going to La Cañada next week, but um, that's the part of Oaxaca that harvests latest. It's actually the closest to Veracruz, so they get a lot later rain, but uh, we saw some really, really exciting offers from new groups and some new communities this year from La Cañada that um, I'm pretty, pretty psyched about. So we're, we're heading up there next week to spend a couple of days with, the, with, the, with those groups. And then, um, yeah, it's nice to have a full team here as well with, uh, with Fabian, who's kind of like our anchor. And then Karina has come up from Lima and you and Ali here. Um, so it's, it's great to have a, a whole working uh, keeper from, uh, from Red Fox. Oh yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting to be up and running and feeling like somewhat like business as usual, all things considered in the world right now. Yeah, it's a, a great time. Um, any questions for Adam or for me before we sign off here, folks? Now is the time. Uh, just to reiterate on something that I said before, I think we'll probably have a spot position of the better coffees in the US, probably sometime like mid-May and later. We're getting some commitment shipments out first, but May, June is when we'll be heavy. We're not going to carry a major spot position. So uh, if you want a forward book, now's the time. But there will be spot coffees to cut through as well. Let's say like May, June, July. And from there, we'll start to, to run through stuff. Um, but if any of you have tasted these coffees in the years past, you know, you know what the potential is. They're really great. OK, I think yeah. that might be it. Oh, here's a question from Joel. How much coffee will be moving between the East Coast, the West Coast, and the Gulf Coast? Do you have an idea of that yet, Adam? Yeah, I think we're, you know, we plan to evenly split, and uh, there's somebody selling something driving by. Uh, we're, you know, a lot of it depends on, like you said, the four commitments and the four booking, but we'll have, um, you know, a, a fairly even split of all coffees on both coasts this year. Um, and then we are also moving a container to Dupuy, Houston. That's one of our new favorite warehouses. Uh, we've been working with them for the last like year and a half probably. But um, so if anybody's in the, at all in the range of shipping from Dupuy, we encourage you to get in touch and talk to us about pulling coffees from there. Um, it's, a, it's a nice alternative to having things in, in Jersey or in, uh, in Oakland. So, um, and then, yeah, as far as shipping timeline goes, um, our first container, we expect to be afloat uh, within two weeks. Um, and honestly, we work really, really hard to uh, be very specific about which shipping lines and routes we're using. In some cases, we're pretty limited, but uh, we try to do as direct as possible. And, the, and one of the advantages of uh, being so close in Mexico is that we can get coffee from Port, Port of Veracruz to the East Coast in five days, six days, uh, you know, on the water. And then we, we started using last year the Port of Manzanillo on the West Coast of Mexico to go straight to to California. Um, and then the case of Houston, it's literally like hop skip. I mean, you can like, you know, throw a baseball 
from once you get into the Gulf, but it's about, about three days on the water from, from Veracruz to Houston. Um, you know, there's always customs and, and, you know, some of the transit times and things like that, that, um, you know, add, add to that, but it's nice that we can have a little control over what shipping lines we use and, and get the most direct routes possible. So by the end of April, we'll have the first coffees clearing for, for roasters with commitments. And then we'll have a, a nice, as Aleka mentioned, spot position of a range of offerings on three coasts um, by, by late May and early June. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that the heaviest window for shipments is mid-April into June, maybe even potentially through June, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mexico gets really hot by June um, and, and more humid. So we really try to get, we make a big push to get the coffees out of the country um, by, by the end of June. So they're not sitting around. But yeah, I mean, you know, from a stability standpoint, Ernesto mentioned that for him and for us as well, it's extremely important that we present the optimal coffees of Mexico that, that last. I think part of the history of Mexican coffees and the, their sort of perception of the market was that they, they didn't last very long um, and that they're sort of, you know, susceptible to fade and things like that. But I think with the last couple of years, we've proven that if you're really careful about how you're cupping and mixing lots and measuring water activity, moisture and things, you can, we can, we can deliver coffees that'll last, you know, eight, 10 months easily um, in their, in their pretty prime condition. So we want, we want to represent in, in our spot position, all the hard work that these farmers are doing and, and, the, and the best of what Mexico offers. I think, you know, we're, I hear from roasters all the time that these coffees are their best sellers. I mean, they're, they're, it's a familiar origin to consumers, um, but they're also they're just in, insanely easy drinking coffees. I mean, they're not going to jump off the table like a Kenya or some of the Ethiopian coffees, but they just go down incredibly, incredibly easy. They're juicy. They're classic profiles without being heavy. Um, so I'm, I mean, the reason why I'm here is because I'm in love with these coffees, but like we, we've heard from a lot of roasters that their response from consumers is really, really positive. So we're seeing, seeing folks ask for, for like two or three different coffees from Mexico to kind of show the range, um, which I think is, is cool to be able to offer that. So totally. totally. Uh, well, Adam, thanks. I think this is a great place to wrap it. Um, yeah. Hopefully all of you found this informative. We'll be back with another episode soon. More and more lives as well. Thank you all for joining. Appreciate it. Have a killer weekend. I uh, hope to talk to you all soon. Take care, everyone. Be safe. Be well. Cheers. Thanks a lot.